Begin Podfix Network transmission. In three, two, one. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. It is a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. Show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fishing Nerd, <laughs> Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend, and I couldn't be happier to be here this evening or this afternoon or this morning, whatever time of day you are listening. Thank you so much, so much for listening. Tonight on the podcast, we've got a big show. We've got Tim Beat. Our effing essayist and the crappy hippie are both here with their segment, Lure of Love. They're going to talk about Z-Man Elastitech baits. They're having a good time with those, doing a little challenge. And we've got Tack Van Sickle from the Very Brady Podcast, a podcast all about the Brady Bunch. And what does that have to do with fish? You're going to have to find out when you get onto the fish in the news. So let's not waste any time today. I want to get right into, right into the show tonight because it is so much fun. So let's get to Lure Love right now. I can't get enough Got a space in my tackle box Just got to fill it up Lure love I can't ever stop Don't got a basement Got an underground tackle shop Welcome to Lure Love Where our motto is Why buy one lure When you can buy 103 I'm Tim Beat, and I'm here with a crappy hippie, John King, who is the owner of Glasswater Angling, maker of lead-free fishing tackle. How are you, John? Hey, I'm doing great, Tim, and hello to Fish Nerd Nation. John, you remember in our last episode, we had talked about how to clean old lures with WD-40, and I told you how frustrated I was trying to remove hooks and split rings from hard baits, and I always thought it was me, that it was user error, but you shared... Ooh with me that used those split ring pliers made by Zuron Corporation. It's Zuron, X-U-R-O-N, and they have blue handles on them. And since you had put together thousands and thousands of lures, I thought, well, I should buy a pair of these and uh, test them out. And guess what? It wasn't user error at all. I just had a really bad pair of cheap split ring pliers that didn't work. And these Zurons were amazing. Well, I'm glad I was able to, you know, turn you on to them. Um, I'm surprised they don't do more marketing to fishers, uh, you know, but it's okay, man, because I, I did the same thing. I bought cheaper ones and, you know, you lose out in the long run because they were such a hassle to use. Price is only one factor. Um, value, you know, that's the smart way to spend your money. I installed new split rings and hooks on about 20 lures that I had painted, and I removed hooks from about 20 old lures in, in just about an hour, and they were excellent. Um, the difference is the Zuron pliers have a longer tooth to separate that split ring. It creates a bigger gap than my old plier, so it's much easier to use. And you can get them on Amazon for just 16 clams. I mean, it's really very affordable. Oh yeah, they're they're not you know not a terribly expensive tool, especially when you compare them to tools you would use in other trades. Um, you know, and and their their design, their engineering is just superior. Um, that's the way it is, and that's a factor of value. I mean, when you work easily, you know, and more efficiently with a well designed tool, um, you get plain. You just plain get more work done, and you're happier doing it, and the work comes out better. Yeah. So thanks for teaching me about those. That's one of the things I really love about the Fish Nerds podcast is that Clay Groves and all of the Fish Nerds correspondents are all about testing, researching, continuing to learn more. And, you know, we're always curious about new techniques and products and the Facebook group it always has great discussions about those where people are saying, hey, what do you think about uh, this lure, this rod and reel, and, uh, and getting good feedback. But I have to be honest with you, John, when I first joined the Fish Nerds Facebook group, I didn't know anything about the environmental impact of fishing with lead jig heads and, and weights. Um, and I was glad that I was able to learn from people like you and Doc Martin and others. And like most anglers, I care about the environment. I just didn't know much about lead and I didn't think about it. I'd always used it. And as I looked at some of the research, there are millions of pounds of it used in hunting and fishing and shooting sports that wind up in the environment every year. And it doesn't really have any known biological uh, 
benefit to anybody. It's it's um, it's a detriment. And in in other products like gasoline, paint, pesticides, we've eliminated it, which is a, a good thing. So the work that you've done creating these non-lead jigs and lures and, and weights is really a huge step in the right direction. Well, thank you very much, Tim. I mean, I, it really you know hit me when I you know I was completely ignorant of it until. 2011 and and you know massachusetts actually passed was the first one to pass the uh anti-lead laws uh in as early as 1998 so a lot of people are doing a lot of catching up and and uh it, it but it's a growing problem it's not one that we want to leave laying around and um so um you know, we're, we're trying to invent as many tackle items that end up lost in the waters. We do, of course, the jigs and the, the wire baits and, and the weights, and, and um, we're bringing them on a little bit at a time. I've got hematite slick weights on the site now, and I just ordered some uh, split shot, and I can't wait till it gets here. And, uh, hey, Mark Peeper, if you're out there listening, uh, you're on the list, bro. Guy's been after me to make him some lead-free catfish weights, and I've got some ideas there. These statistics that you come up with when you realize, you know, how much is going into the water uh, can really start you to thinking. Yeah. And, and as I thought more about the environment, my philosophy is pretty simple. If we can make lures and other tackle that are more friendly to the environment and they're effective catching fish and the price is similar to the alternatives, why wouldn't we want to use them as long as it meets those three criteria? And I've, I've read estimates that more than 4,300 tons of lead fishing sinkers are sold every year in the United States. And so if we can keep the, those 4,300 tons of lead out of the water, I'm all for it. Um, you know, especially as we see the number of anglers increase, the amount of lead is going to increase too. Absolutely. So, you know, 4,300 tons of purchased lead means they're probably purchasing replacement tackle for the lead weights that they've lost so that you know when you take that back to when this product started to be mass produced we're talking 300,000 tons of lead lost by anglers uh since the the uh, post-world war ii era and you know it's not just that we're out uh scattering it here and there we go down to the lake the river the stream we're concentrating this lost lead in natural places and um you know, it harms animals in terms of immediate consumption uh, when the loons and the water birds eat it. And then, of course, secondary consumption when they're eaten by scavengers. It also contaminates the water over time. Um, and, you know, this isn't the only product that we need to worry about immediate consumption by animals. When you speak about the Facebook group, we have a lot of debate on there about plastics because a lot of us, including me, love to use the plastics we love to get you know next to a surface water blow up catching a bass on a plastic worm about as fun as it gets that dangling and then you just watch your line moving and you know you got it you know you got to develop that skill to wait just long enough but not too long and all that and leaning back on that plastic worm and feeling that that weight that you've got a good hook set so i don't see us being able to take plastics away that simplistic solution where we just say hey you can't use plastics anymore that's not going to wash so we're looking for companies that are going to help us out with a better plastic, a plastic that does not end up in the water as much. Yeah. And John, I love soft plastics. They have always been, since I was a kid, they're my go-to bait, my go-to lure. Growing up, I loved the man's jelly worms. Remember those, especially grape. They smelled like grape and they were just so effective. All of their the, the jelly worms smelled like a different type of fruit. And I caught a ton of fish on them. And, you know, Tom Mann was a, who, the, uh, the inventor of the jelly worms. He was an Alabama game warden before his company took off. He was also a professional bass angler, and he fished the circuit. Then he was even inducted into the Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. But I can remember the blueberry worms and the watermelon worms. And today we have things like green pumpkin color, but that's just the color. These things smelled like the fruit, which was just incredible. And the other bait I loved with growing up, was the Mr. Twister curly tail grubs and the sassy shad. I fished those things every single time I went out. Oh, those were all favorites, you know, and we always joke, you know, those watermelon worms are good enough to eat and all that kind of stuff, you know, not um, Mr. Twister, you know, I was there when that 
came out, the sassy Chad. What a great idea to, to actually create a wide profile plastic that looks a lot like a shad with a nice quiver tail. Um, sure. I loved all those. And then of course I'm real fond of the baits that were invented around the Kansas city area, uh, where I live and, you know, famous down in the Ozark. So I had a lot of beetle spins. I liked a lot of the, um, uh, Marlin lures like the puddle jumper and the Ensley Reaper and stuff. But, you know, the first guy to come out with some plastics uh, was Nick Cream, and he invented the plastic worm about 70 years ago. And, of course, Cream brand is still around, still an excellent brand of plastics. But, you know, he started out with vinyls, plastic, oils, pigments, and most of the baits today use a similar or the same sort of idea, polyvinyl chloride, which is PVC, to make their soft plastics. Now, you all have heard of Plastisol. And that's a suspension of polyvinyl chloride. Uh, a suspension is a fluid that contains solid particles. Anyway, this stuff works very well to create soft baits, as we all well know. Yeah, and John, similar to the way that I learned about the negative impact of lead is I've learned more about the plastisol used to make most soft plastics. I've just wondered about its potential negative impact on the environment, even though I love to fish it. And about 18 years ago, the PVC plastisols used in things like baby bottles and other products were pulled from the market because the FDA found that the products were leaching out and making people sick. So similar to lead, we just don't want too much of those things in our water. And remember, again, my philosophy is if we can make the lures that are friendly to the environment and effective at catching fish and at a similar price, why wouldn't we want to use them? So a few years ago, I bought some Z-Man Elastex soft baits on a whim. I just shot, saw them in a the store. I just liked the way they look. But as I learned more about them, the more I liked how they were made. Well, it's a cool story. Uh, Elastech soft baits came out about 15 years ago, uh, 2005, the first batch of the final recipe of Elastech baits were produced by Z-Man fishing. And at the time they were the largest producer of silicone skirts. Now they wanted to create a bait from an environmentally benign material that could outperform traditional PVC soft baits. And right there, you're talking, you know, that kind of drive, that kind of angler intuitiveness, that kind of problem identification that not only the solution is going to solve an environment problem, but make a better bait. That's what I'm all about. Absolutely. And uh, their recipe, yeah, baby, their recipe made the soft baits float without adding the beads, without the micro balloons, without, you know, these additions that can also be bad for the environment. Floating is a great characteristic for a soft bait because it sticks up from the bottom and gets the fish fish's attention, um, which when I'm fishing Ned rigs, that's really what it's all about. I find that I, I hook a lot more fish when something is sticking up like that. Absolutely. I mean, the floating bait is revolutionized bass fishing. Um, shaky heads, football heads. Uh, the Neko rig is another one. You, you've got me hunting down molds to make Neko rig weights and lead nails and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, of course, I won't make mine out of lead. I should say bismuth nails, which is what I'm going to make. Um, but, yeah, you it doesn't float. It, you know, it can still work, but floater is, is what I go for 99% of the time. And, and Z-Man didn't just invent this. One of the reasons that um, I think they've been successful is they also do all the manufacturing themselves in South Carolina. So they not only invented the formulation, but also the manufacturing equipment. And when they first came out, they made their baits for Strike King. But in, in 2008, Z-Man became selling the Elastic baits with their own logo under the Z-Man brand. And the rest is history. Yeah, and what a great history it is developing into. Because uh, what's special about Elastec is that it's a different material from PVC Plastisol. Plastisol, with its PVC resin and softening agents, it contains these toxic chemicals, right? So, in fact, if you look at the package of Plastisol baits in your tackle box, you'll probably see a cancer warning on there. Uh, but Elastec uses a non-toxic, non-reactive resin uh, combination in their baits. Um, it's made from a non-toxic food-grade pharmaceutical-grade resin. And uh, that sounds good to me, you know. And then it, what's brilliant is, yeah, they float. So they don't litter the bottom. So if you have, you know, you get that head shaking bass and he flings that worm off. Um, once you're done fishing that weed bed, you can go over and pick that worm back up and snatch it out of the environment right then.
Absolutely. And they also, John, they don't swell up if they're left in water the way plastisol does. Um, and they do degrade over time, though it, it, it takes a while. But what really kind of hit me was the selection. And I first saw Elastec baits in Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. But what I realized when I visited their website is that those stores only sell a very small fraction of all the different varieties. So when I went to their website, I was kind of blown away because they had 50, 60 different types of baits, swim baits, worms, curly tail grubs, crayfish, you name it. And they also had about 25 colors. So the selection was pretty good. I mean, I could match most of what I was using as plastisol baits from their products. And, uh, and John, you caught your first fish of this year on Elastic Bait. You bet, Jim. I sure did. And, and it was great. It was a day. The pond opened up. It was a nice day. I got my work done. I got, you know, had a little bit of time there toward evening and I uh, went down and just caught me a couple nice fish. I got me a nice uh, chunky bass, and I got a nice chunky crappie uh, fishing some really woolly uh, locust growth. Um, and then the other night, I went down expecting more of the same, and I got in my uh, the pond had come up some and so on. Uh, so that growth was out in some deeper water. Um, I ended up snagging up my my Z man uh, dude. I cut the line, put a bobber on it, and set it out there so I could find it. When I get the boat out later, uh, <laughs> when I have the time, is I am not losing my Z-Man trick shot meat dog, baby. No, not going to lose it. That's how much I'm already grown to love these baits. One of the things that I decided to do this year is I really want to test these things out because I think if, if a company is doing things that are, are good baits and they're environmentally friendly, I think... We need to really put them through the the tests to make sure that they they're effective, and then start to use them, um, you know, as much as we can. So this year, I plan to only fish Elastec baits when I fish soft baits, which, is, as I said, is pretty often. Um, and I'm calling this the Elastec One Year Challenge, and I've created a Facebook page with posts and videos to document the uh, the research, and we share some of those posts on the Fish Nerds um, group page as well. And so my first question was already answered. I know elastic is better for the environment compared to the plastisol baits I was using. And as I said, I had a lot of plastisol baits. So my two big questions for this year are first, how effective are these at catching fish? And both of us are going to keep logs this year of all the fish we catch on Z-Man baits. Absolutely. We're going to keep logs on it. And frankly, I don't think there's going to be any problem there as far as uh, catching fish. Uh, I about peed myself with excitement when I opened that package from Z-Man and saw all the wonderful things that were in there and just super stoked to get down and get some, some fishing done. But I'm also going to do what you did, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get me some items that I saw on their website and so on uh, that really just turn me on in terms of what I'm doing with my company. So I'm going to get some paddle tails that are compatible with Angle King, compatible with Crappie Dooler, uh, because what I not only want to test is how much the fish rough them up, but how much does the fisherman rough them up when I switch from that uh, chartreuse and black tail to, to my classic uh, stardust black and gold tail, how much does it damage that bait to come on and off a hook? And how many times can I do that? So my, my log is going to be a little different. It's going to be about fish. It's going to actually have some details in it about any of or any sort of stress I put on the lure, you know, as I was rigging or re-rigging to catch the fish and so on. So uh, Z-Man bait on a, a glasswater angling crappie dooler. I think we're going to make a great team, baby. I think we're going to make a great team. Yeah, I think that's going to be good. And that kind of relates to my second question is how cost effective is elastic compared to traditional soft baits? Because if they're way more expensive, I know a lot of people aren't going to use them. I don't like to buy things that are, are significantly more expensive. And John, you have experienced pricing your jigs. How important is setting the price to getting people to buy fishing tackle? It's important in anything and you'll get in any group of business geeks and um, they will talk about price point, you know, all night long and the things that, that contribute to that. But by and large, uh, the term is, you know, it has to be competitive. A price has to be competitive. Now, there's different ways to establish competitiveness in a price because having the lowest price is not necessarily the primary or best way 
to be competitive because you can price yourself out. Uh, if you're too low, then people think your quality isn't isn't up to snuff. So you know you've got you don't want to detract. Um, so you've got to get in a range, of course. And then of course the way you can pump up your take or make it more competitive, uh, of course, is to associate with a celebrity or have good fishing testimonial. People believe. Um, uh, but another good way is to show the bait's value. Yeah, because in my mind, durability is really the key to calculating value. So most plastisol baits sell for about you know four fifty for sixteen baits in a pack, and elastic baits sell for about four fifty, but they only have eight baits. So each bait is about twice as expensive. So some people might look at that and say, "Well, th th that's really expensive. It's twi cost twice as much." But the real calculation of value is how long they last compared to their cost, not just what their price is, as you said. And I've used some plastisol soft baits that tore so easily, you were constantly replacing them. And that's just not a bargain. You know, based, based on their prices, if an elastic bait lasts twice as long as a traditional bait, then the value is the same. And they claim on their package that it's 10 times tougher. Now, I, I'm not sure exactly how they researched that and figured it out. But I did a stress test in my home to compare the plastisol bait with an elastic bait. You know, you've got to use your head and you've got to think a little more broad because the 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 value on a bait that that holds up and is durable is so much more. And it's so much better, you know, in terms of value overall, if we want to get into ethics and and being good to your world and your neighbors and everything else. Yeah, absolutely, John. And so here's what I did for the stress test in Lure Love Labs, also known as my basement. So I, I took a Z-Man Ned Jig Head, and that has a welded keeper on it. And I love those welded keepers because they really keep a soft bait on the hook without tearing it. And then I have a pair of hemostats that clamp without tearing, and you can lock them. And so I attached the bait to the jig head. Then I attached the jig head to a line. And then I clamped the hemostat to the end of the bait and I attached to the hemostat a one and a half pound weight. So the bait was being stretched between the jig head and the weight. So that's a pretty tough test. And the traditional plastisol bait lasted only two seconds before tearing and breaking. They don't really stretch very much. But the Elastec bait lasted for 12 minutes and 51 seconds before breaking. That's 385 times longer than the Plastisol bait. And I, I posted the video on the Elastic Challenge Facebook page so you can see it. I was just dumbfounded. This thing stretched way out and just hung there. I mean, you could, it's a, it's about like a bungee cord. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was so cool. And it was a great idea for an experiment, uh, but it, it illustrates exactly what we're talking about. And so the bottom line is if the elastic just lasts three or four times longer than plastisol baits, then elastic is significantly cheaper because it lasts so long. And um, Z-Man says the record for the greatest number of fish caught on one bait is 246, which I guess we can try to break this year, but I think that's probably an unbreakable record. And you and I will see how long they last as we fish this year. And we're going to provide updates on the future lure love segments about our progress. Yeah, I, I want, you know, that's that's good motivation. I want to hit that 246 fish on one bait goal. I just want to catch that many fish this summer. That would be terrific. Um, definitely, baby. All right. Yeah. So definitely, you know, I want to prove this company out either way. And uh, if it all, you know, blows up my face and, and, and they break and they're not, you know, they're just the same as anything else, I'm going to say so. But right. um, early, early indications are that... Uh, they're doing what they say they're doing. And I'm always excited about alternatives. Um, if they live up to their story, they're going to have a customer in me for life. Because one thing about fishers is we can be very brand loyal. If you give us a reason and not only catching more fish, but being environmentally friendly while we're doing it. Um, Hey, that motivates me all the way, babe, you know? Yeah, we, we really need to reward companies who are doing some of this environmental research and, and looking at new products, at least to give them the benefit of the doubt in the test. And in complete transparency, when I first contacted Z-Man to let them know about our year-long challenge, they offered to send both of us samples, which we gladly accepted. And, and uh, we both also purchased quite a few packets of Z-Man, Elastec Baits on our own this year. But the idea for the test came from us. Z-Man did not approach us with this. It was something we wanted to do. You know, we're not crazy. Who's going to turn down free lures? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> not me either. <laughs>
All right. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed that segment. I know I did. I, I'm uh, Tim and I are so excited about this. Uh, uh, Z-Man is, is, a, is a company that I did not know a lot about uh, up until this time. I had tried them here and there, but, but had not really given them a fair test. No, and I'm really excited about this experiment because, um, you know, I'd seen Z-Man baits and, and I had tried them and I had, I'd screwed up and thrown them in with my other plastics and, and that kind of came out badly. Um, but now I know the skinny on how to store them. I, I got myself a special little book for them and uh, I'm really excited to get out there and test them and let our listeners know uh, how they work because uh, we all want to share these sorts of secrets. Uh, they shouldn't be secrets. They should be shouted from the mountaintops because to anything that's going to help us catch more fish and, and help the environment uh, while doing it, we want to be part of. Everybody, this has been Lure Love with John King, the crappie hippie, co-founder of Glasswater Angling with my good buddy, Tim Beat, outdoor rider, fish nerds, essayist, and member of the Great Lakes Outdoor Riders Association saying tight lines and valentines. Peace out. You've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure Love. Can't I make you see? Why buy five lures when you can buy a hundred and three? Sunshine and kisses there. Lure love. Thank you, Grace, for singing that theme song for us. We appreciate you and that song. It's a lot of fun. And I hope you enjoyed that segment. Thank you, Tim Beat and Crappy Hippie, for bringing it to us. Now we have to we got to pay some bills here, so let's get on with an advertisement, shall we? Oh, yeah. That can only mean one thing. <laughs> Support for the podcast has been brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs at Manscaped. If you go to manscaped.com and use the coupon code FISHNERDS, you will get 20% off plus free shipping. There you go right there. Uh, And this is exciting, though. So Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new improved lawnmower 3.0. The third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blaze, reduced grooming accidents, I'm, and I'm supposed to tell you about my personal experience with it, but I'm not actually comfortable with that. But I will tell you, it does the job it's supposed to do, and it cuts hair, and it's waterproof. It's got a little light on it, too. So again, to support the show, you go to manscaped.com, use the coupon code FISHNERDS, and get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And we thank them for their support of the show here. And now... And now we're going to get on with the news. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the news. Everybody loves the fish in the news. And we are so lucky because tonight's story is really important. It's uh, one of the biggest submarine mysteries in, in Swedish history. Uh, if you haven't been keeping up with Swedish history, then you failed as a as a modern American student. Uh, but for 15 years, Sweden spent time trying to chase down enemy submarines, and they found out later it was just fish farts they were chasing. Uh, so I thought what we'd do today is get an expert on two things here on the show for you. We've got an expert on submarines and an expert on farts. So we're we're, we're joined by uh, Tack Van Sickle. I hope I said it right. And Tack is the host and founder of a very Brady podcast, where every week he watches one Brady Bunch episodes and takes it apart piece by piece. Uh, and the more I listen to that show, by the way, the more I find Alice attractive. I'm going to just say that out loud. I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm okay with it. But she gets better, better, and better looking every week when I listen. So, Tack, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks. Yeah. So, what are we talking about? Swedish fish? Like, yeah, Swedish fish. <laughs> Those are delicious. I love them. They are. They stick. They stick to my my dentures, though. Not my dentures. My fillings. So, yeah. So, Tack, we're going we're to take this story apart in just a second. But, but okay. let's give some background here. 
So sure. first of all, we've already established that that you you fart. We know this is true. Um, I, I guess so. I'm a dad, so I yeah, all dads fart. Um, interesting. Moms don't. Yeah, hmm. yeah. That's Weird. what I'm told. Um, except for in the morning after a cup of coffee. So, Tack, you also have the Very Brady podcast. I do. I have a co-host as well, Jimmy Klein, yeah. and the two of us break the bunch down one episode at a time. Yeah, and I've been on there. Uh, you once. have been on there, and you still are one of the funniest guests I've ever had. Really? Such a good time. Yeah, that's, <laughs> this is a blast when you're on. That's because I love the Brady Bunch so much. And and you, Tack, I love you too. And you had Doc Martin on. I did, yeah. yeah we had uh, Doc Martin. Yeah, she's our chief science correspondent. So mm-hmm. I think you've had two of the fish nerds. You should get more on so that you can have the whole collection of fish nerds on your show. We have plenty of <laughs> <Good>. correspondence. <laughs> There's still nice. plenty of episodes left. How, what season are you guys in so far? Uh, on your podcast season, season, but the Brady Bunch seasons. Yeah, yeah. We're in season three, like early on still. The first half of season three still. Okay. So we're about halfway through the whole series. What, what was almost. the most recent episode you did? Uh, we did one, or the one that was, what was it? Um, oh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha episode. Oh, we classic. just did that one. Yeah, classic. classic episode. Yeah. Now, my favorite episodes, I know they're not your favorites, are... When they go to the Grand Grand Canyon, yeah, we did those early in the season. Yeah, those are my. I, I liked them. I thought they were good, but my co-host was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." Well, maybe I don't like your co-host then. Okay, so, <laughs> but you also, besides being a Brady Bunch expert uh, yeah. and a farting expert, you also are an expert on submarines because you were in the Navy and you were yes. the chief major general and head cook on a submarine. Uh, is that correct? Uh, you can just call me Seaman. It's less embarrassing. Major Seaman General Cook. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so you were a cook yes. on a submarine. First of all, how long were you on a submarine? Uh, I was on submarines eight years. Underwater the whole time. Well, no, not the whole time. But I do have, because you do accumulate sea time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Navy like counts your days and all that, that you're out at sea. And out of the eight years, it was about... Five and a half years at sea. That's a long time. Maybe it's four and a half years. I forget, but something like that. It's a, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And and were you deployed like in action, or were you just kind of cruising around cooking? Well, I can't go, <laughs> I can't go into too much detail, but basically, I was on a Trident submarine, um, and so what we basically did was ours was strategic deterrence, so we carried uh, nuclear missiles, and our patrol box we would just go out to sea and stick within a patrol box and circle around for a patrol time and then come back in the beauty of my job being in submarines is that my job doesn't change whether a wartime or peacetime it does not change but you must have training like like what do you do when the submarine gets hit by a uh, torpedo torpedo for sure yeah. yeah everybody on board a submarine has to know how to do damage control has to know how to do all life-saving skills, it's something you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's when you learn, like, all systems of the ship, like, you have to learn all systems of the boat, everything from, like, if there's a fire in that pump, you have to know where the power supply is, like, what panel is it on, where you have to know all that. And to do that, once you finally complete your qualifications for that, you earn what's called your dolphins. And it's a pen that you earn and you wear it on your chest proudly because it take, they give you about a year to earn it. And it's one of those things that once you do, it's a big deal and it brings tears to your eyes. And yeah, you're like a real submariner. Submariner, a badge of honor. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, there you go. Congratulations. And th- by the way, thank you for, for doing that for me so I didn't have to. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was never brave enough to join the military. I was raised military. And as an adult, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that again. You know, I spent my whole life yeah, on military bases, so I didn't, didn't wasn't wasn't attracted to it as a grown up. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, yeah. I grew up on Air Force bases. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, it was Coast Guard bases. You know, yeah, the all right. easiest going, the, the most softball of any branch of the military. I think <laughs> so. <laughs> that's all I know is my dad played softball. It seemed like two seasons. We had fall and spring, and, well, three. Yeah, like except for when it was too cold out, they played softball and drank a lot. So. <laughs> a lot of yeah, used to, in the Coast Guard. We used to make fun of like the Coast Guard, but then when you see their commercials on TV, you're like, "Fuck that! I'm not doing that shit." They show these ships and boats like going through this 
jumping waves and like all kind of crazy shit. Oh, it's bananas. Like, no thanks. Yeah, my my dad joined to avoid Vietnam. He was 1969, and yeah. his draft number was coming up, and he joined the Coast Guard. So he during Vietnam, he was in, in Antarctica instead of fighting a hmm. war. So he joined as opposed to like running away from the things. He took it head on and took his own path. <laughs> So. You kind of went as far as you can possibly go from Vietnam, right? But wow. by still by joining the military, so he kind yeah, of owned yeah, it, no, and yeah. that was smart, I think. Right. So it's a good loophole. And he retired like in his forties. Like like you and I are both losers, right? He, we're still <laughs> trying to figure out our jobs. My dad was like, yeah. oh, "I'll stay in for eighteen years and retire." And he turned out he's like forty two and he's retired. And I'm like, "What?" I know. I wish I would have stayed in and retired. I'd be retired now, collecting a pension the rest of my life. Oh uh, yeah, you wouldn't have to work at all. You know, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be making a podcast was- in your basement. And if you were, you you wouldn't care about the sponsorship part of it. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we're here uh, to talk about some news. So let's do some fishing. Okay, news. let's do. Now we got your background. We know who you are. We know you're an expert in all things submarines. So we're gonna we're gonna just read this article. It's from IFL Science. I freaking love science. Oh yeah, I love science. science. Great, great website. And I'm gonna, we're gonna stop me anytime. We'll talk about these bits and pieces. Okay. Sure. All right. It's perfectly feasible that in the 1980s, a major diplomatic incident between nuclear superpowers could have been triggered by fish farts. In fact, Russia and Sweden nearly came to blows over this very thing. They just didn't know it at the time. And a little history here. 1981, a Soviet submarine ran aground, that must be scary, on the south Mm. coast of Sweden, just 10 kilometers from a Swedish naval base. The Soviets claimed they were forced into Swedish territory by severe distress and later navigation errors. First of all, are there a lot of navigation errors on a submarine? Are they pretty good at this? (laughs) Not that I've seen. I never saw any. I suppose it could happen. It's, It's theoretically possible. Sure. Probably, yeah. would, and now, as a cook, would you know if you were lost? Oh <laughs> uh, well, nah, no. I don't know if anybody really knows. <laughs> maybe the quartermasters and the officers and the captain, of course. All right. But um, well, Sweden saw this as proof that the then Soviet Union was infiltrating Swedish waters. It didn't. They were trying to catch those fish. It didn't help that when Swedish officials secretly measured the radioactive materials using gamma ray spectro- spectro- spectroscopy. Right, spectroscopy, spectroscopy. They detected. There you go. They detected what we're ninety percent sure was uranium twenty-three, which is what they use for nuclear weapons inside the sub. Mm-hmm. Indicated they were nuclear armed. The submarine was returned to international waters, but the Swedish government remained alert, convinced the Russian subs could still be operating near their territory, which is when they started to pick up elusive underwater signals and sounds. In 1982, this is one year later, several Swedish subboats and helicopters pursued one of these unidentified sources for a whole month and came up with nothing. When you were on the submarine, were you guys chasing noises? How, what, are you, what were you doing? <laughs> no, uh, so our ship's mission was strategic deterrence. So basically it's go undetected. So being as quiet as possible and... Yeah, sonar does track stuff like they hear and listen for things. And you can hear signatures and different, like in the screws of ships and stuff like that. So, you know, they're, they're trained to identify what they're hearing. Okay. That's a, this kind of ship or that's this kind of ship or even like Soviets, not Soviets, obviously, but you know, Russian or whoever, German, you know, <clears throat> like they can, they know like signature sounds. Um, but as far as I know, we never really tracked anything. I don't know that we're not necessarily on the need to know basis. I don't mean us cooks, but like the rest of the crew, you know, so it could have been possible. Maybe. So your need to know was like, you know, you know, Admiral Smith is a vegetarian and Jones (laughs) is gluten free. (laughs) 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 Well, I need to know wasn't the right term. It was because we're out there. We all have secret clearances, so Mm -hmm. you know we can. Some uh, some people, of course, had higher you know top secret clearances, but but I mean, there's stuff that you know (laughs) I did know, we did know, you know, even as a cook, (laughs) there's still stuff I knew was going on. But just I just we just didn't care or weren't told because there's no point. You you can't do it. Tracking something, you know. Just you would never know anyway. It doesn't matter unless you go and ask. Like, hey, are we tracking something? <laughs> yeah. Now I spent time um, in a museum of uh, a submarine called the U.S. Albacore, which is up in okay. Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And the way they the way they got that out of the water is they 
they dug a big trench from from the from Portsmouth from the ocean in inland, and they drove the submarine in, and they buried the trench on one end with the water drain out, and now that submarine is half buried in the ground, and you can take tours mm. of it. So now I feel like I'm an expert also on submarines because I went in there and I had to duck. And you're a tall person. No, I'm not a tall person. Well, from my angle on your Zoom, you look very tall. <laughs> um, it's because the camera's looking up. Yeah. I mean, I'm 5'8". I don't know if you consider 5'8". Ta- taller than a submarine uh, the submarine was. And I checked out the living quarters. And the beds yeah. are like, you know, there's like three bunks deep. And the top bunk, there's like nine inches of clearance. <laughs> if you were to squeeze, squeeze in right. there. Did you sleep in those bunks like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Did you ever like... Wake up and just sit up and bunk your head? Like, No, because you got kind of used to it. But, well, okay, <laughs> kind of a funny story. When we go out to see a patrol, we're gone for, you know, say up to 90 days. You know, we're gone. And so a lot of guys will do their patrol haircuts, basically just completely shaving their heads, even like bicking their heads, just so not to worry about hair and brushing and all that kind of stuff. So, and when you do that, <laughs> I don't know if you're aware, but hair, provides several functions, one of which is feelers. Mm. So a lot of guys will hit their heads on shit all the freaking time. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be cursing on your oh, show. You I don't remember. This is your show now. <laughs> this is sailor talk. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. We're talking sailors. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a lot of like early on the patrols, a lot of uh, um, patrol stitches. <laughs> but um, now you get kind of used to it. Let me tell you what, too. Uh, when you Sleeping in those racks is what we call them because they were so comfortable. Like, because you're like in a little nook and cranny, in a little nook, you got your curtain, you shut it, it's pitch black in there. And they have also a little fan that's like right there. And you can turn it to where it blows right on you. And there's nice white noise. Perfect. Man, I slept so good on the boat. Oh, and you got the hum so of the boat. Awesome. There's no natural light coming in. Right. It was so nice, man. Oh. I slept so well. Now, let me ask you one more question. Yeah. All right. So I, I heard that, you know, winter hats with the pom-pom on top? You know what I'm talking about? What? Winter hats. Oh, the winter, winter hats with, with, with the, the pom-pom? Okay. I heard that that pom-pom was invented by submariners as a way of detecting the top of the submarines. When they're walking around, they don't bump their heads often. <laughs> well, you know that's where your hair is for, but yeah. you shave your head I don't know. I've never heard that. That's, That's interesting. That means it's true. Okay. So let's move on with this story here. So, so the, the Swedes were chasing the Russians for over a decade. And every time they picked up an acoustic signal, they would search and find nothing but a few bubbles on the sea's surface. Sweden was, of course, worried about the intrusions and couldn't think why, with the Cold War now over, Russia would continue to provoke them in this manner. And they were really upset about it. Then in 1996, Magnus Wahlberg, a professor of the University of Southern Denmark, became involved in the investigation of the strange signals. And this is, he did a TED Talk. You can watch this online. Uh, he says, we were, we were brought into a very secret room under the naval base of, the Burge, of, of Bergen in Stockholm, he explained. Uh, we were sitting there with all these officers, and they were actually playing these sounds for us. And it was the first time any civilian heard the noise. It took him 10 years to ask for help, by the way. Which seems like, like must, I guess all all governments are like this. They move slowly. Yeah, yeah. He, he had imagined a sound like the ping you hear in films when submarines detected. Now I, I watched Hunt for Red October, so I also understand submarine life. Yeah. Um, Extremely realistic. Yeah, yeah. perfectly understand that. So so uh, those kind of sounds. Uh, <laughs> that's, so I'm an expert on everything because I watch movies. Um, Right. <laughs> he and a colleague began the task of figuring out what could be making bubbles on a scale that would make Sweden think it was dealing with a nuclear submarine. Turns out, herring have a swim bladder. So this is something I did know. Uh, most fish have a swim bladder. And do you know the purpose of a swim bladder, Jack? Um, I would guess like buoyancy. Buoyancy, right. It helps the fish decide where in the water column it's going to be, right? It releases air out, yeah. it goes down, it gain, collects air. Just it like goes, a submarine. Just like hey. a submarine. Exactly the same thing. Right. Do you remember the submarine you got in the old Frosted Flakes container and you put the baking soda in it and you put it in the tub and it started oh around little circles yes. in the tub, right? Totally forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, same. That's, that's what herring do. It's the same thing. Herring and 
the, <laughs> there's the submarine you get in your frosted flakes are the same thing. So <laughs> herring have a swim bladder. A swim bladder is connected to, an, to the anal duct of a fish. In layman's terms, mm. that's called a poop shoot, in case you're not keeping up. <laughs> that's the science for you. Uh, Hashtag poop yeah. Wahlberg said, it's a very unique connection only found in herring. So most swim bladders don't connect to the poop chute. Most, they, they gas out through the skin or through the mouth or the gills, right? But this one goes out through the butt. So when they release gas from, from the swim bladder, it has to go down through the poop chute, out the pooper, which is the very definition of a what tack? A fart? A fart, yes. See, I knew you knew this stuff. Of a fart. So a herring... I guess fart. I am a pro. Yeah. So herring can squeeze the swim bladder, and this way it can blurt out a small number of bubbles through their butt. <laughs> and that's a fish <laughs> fart. Uh, in layman terms, they let it rip. Herring swimming in gigantic schools and can reach several square kilometers or up to 20 meters, about 65 feet across and deep. And when something near them frightens them, say a hungry school of mackerel or a submarine on the lookout for Russian spies... They can generate a lot of gas at once. They want to move fast, all at once. The swim bladders release, they fart, and they move on. To test this theory, Wahlberg brought, uh, bought a herring from a store and applied pressure, and sure enough, it made a sound. He took the footage, <laughs> took that footage to the native personnel and played it back to them, and it was a perfect match for the noise they had been hearing. The good news is, <laughs> the good news was that Sweden wasn't under the threat from Russia, and the bad news was it spent ten years deploying its military in pursuit of fish farts. Since it figured out, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, right? Can you imagine how much money they spent chasing fish farts? <laughs> right, right. So to offset that, the way that they're able to supplement their military income is by producing and selling little red candy fishes to people. And that money That's goes right. directly to the military <laughs> and helps them fund these expeditions. Science. Right. So they've been, been selling them for so long. Yeah. They have a lot of money to make up. They have a lot of money to make up for, for a candy that's not all that good. Yeah. That, that, that part's not true, by the way. It's completely <laughs> oh, <okay>. garbage. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so do, you, do you think it's possible that they were chasing the Russians and the Russians let them think it's fish farts? Ooh, I didn't even think of that twist. Like, what if, what if, like, this guy, Wahlberg, is completely wrong, but the Russians mm-hmm. were trying to find a way out of this incident? <laughs> right. And he said this, and the Russians went, okay, stop going to Sweden now. You know, like, right. in that way, <laughs> they can they can say they were never there. You know, it's kind of, uh, well, I don't know how much I can say, but there was a time where when we were out at sea, we we're a little concerned of being followed. <laughs> Let's just leave it there. Yeah. Um, By the Russians? I can't really the say. The Swedes. But... The Swedes were out to get you. <laughs> well, it definitely was not the Swedes. Now, um, now do all but... countries have submarines? No, no. No. I imagine not very popular. Well, I mean, they're very popular. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is the reason why we have this freedom here, because we have submarines out there with 24 nuclear missiles Pointing to whoever, that's why you don't mess with the U.S. That's why they call it deterrent. That's right. Now, now here's a question. So how is a deterrent if no one knows they're there? Well, they're not here. So that's a, <laughs> an equivalent to like, let's say you got a bully that wants to fight you and is in your front, you know, wants to come over to your house, but then they're going to because you could say, hey, I have a big gorilla with a machete hiding somewhere in my yard. Mm. Guarantee your bully's not going to come to your house. No, but I would go there because I need to see this bully. I need to see this this ape or whatever, the gorilla with a machete. With a machete. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would I would take my chances with that one. <laughs> I would call their bluff. <laughs> Show me that yeah. gorilla. Because <laughs> how fun would that be? <laughs> Earlier you said um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that is that the maybe we already talked about this, but. Is that where right next to it's right on the main border? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so I've been there. Been you pro- have because you pulled were, in there, right? Because the base there, well, actually, there's some controversy. The base is in Maine, Kittery, Kittery Maine. Right? right, but New Hampshire owns it. Yeah. So because right? I remember we, I was on USS Maine, and we pulled in there twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the boats I was on. I was also on USS Louisiana, but um, I was in USS Maine, and we pulled in there for commissioning and we pulled in there again a few years later 
and but we all hung out and partied over in New Hampshire. Well, that's because uh, we party better than Maine. We've got more teeth, and we're better looking. <laughs> well, I don't know. I got eighty sixth in a bar over in Portsmouth, Maine, or Portsmouth. What, uh, yeah. New what, what, do you know what bar it was? No, but it was it was one like right there. I don't remember, but it was like a sports bar looking thing. Yeah, I don't know mm. if that helps. It doesn't. But I was. Do you have like drinking laws over there? That's weird. We have laws. Like you can't. You can't be like drunk in public or something. Yes, we do have those rules. Yeah, live free or yeah. die. Which is was hilarious to all my friends because I don't drink that much, uh-huh. and I'm the one that got kicked out of the bar and told not to come back because I had three beers and only three. Three beers, and I was like telling a story because we just got back from sea. We're excited to be out, in, you know, right. in the you're, sunlight you're in daytime, public, you know? yeah. and I'm like telling a story to somebody, and I think they're thinking I'm like being drunk, and I don't know. So I tried to go grab another beer, and then they're like, um, "Why don't you just have water?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and then finally, like they came over and like kicked me out. I was like. So weird. Anyway, yeah, I think I'm sharing you pictures of the albacore right now. Do you see it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, that's cool. Yeah, that's small. Oh, it's tiny. That was a real active submarine. That was. Yep. Good lord. Yeah, and what they did was they dug a trench and they just drove it in, drained the water out, and put a fence <laughs> around it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, how many people were crew on that thing? I don't know, like at least one. I have no idea. <laughs> at least one. <laughs> Maybe two. Like, yeah, that's but, crazy. But, we had uh, 165 guys on my boat. That's really scary. <clears throat> well, I was on a Trident submarine. Those things are huge. That sounds huge. <clears throat> well, all right. Good. Uh, so, Tack, where can people find your show? Uh, anywhere you listen to Fish Nerds, you're going to find a very Brady podcast and hosted by me and Jimmy. A very Brady podcast. And it's a lot of fun. And I recommend that uh, you follow along. Watch the episode of the Brady Bunch before you listen to the show because it'll, sure. it'll be more meaningful. Uh, and you can you know, find him on Facebook and participate. And Tack has a yeah. good sense of humor about his show. He gets it. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And oh, I'll, yeah. I'll come on again, Tack, if you'll have me. For sure, yeah, yeah. We come up with fun conspiracy theories. Like, oh man, it's so much fun. Yeah, it's it's a ton of fun too. So good. And and you were involved with Twisted Ten for a little while, but they fired you. <laughs> no, they didn't fire me. I just scheduling. I couldn't commit, so um, they went on without me. And I can still go on whenever I if they're I'm ever available for a recording. But well, that's good. Well, thank yeah. you, Tack. Let me just push this button here. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody. And that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Special thanks, big thanks, to Tim Beat and the crappie hippie John King for putting together their Lure Love segment. It's one of my favorite new features of the show, and I really appreciate both those guys. Uh, huge thank you, Tack Van Sickle from the Very Brady Contest. Thank you to uh, Wally Pleasant for our theme song. Thank you for Grace for the Lure Love theme, and big thank you to Diana's Bath Salts for our news theme, and that is it. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds. Spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, a podcast just for the hell of it fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan eat it raw like you're in siam fish nerds fish nerds fish nerds it's a podcast